Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm very pleased to be here in the D.C. area with Dan Ellsworth. Dan is someone that we've been wanting to talk to for a few months since we started the podcast, actually, because he's somewhat of an expert in what we sometimes call the faith crisis community in the church. He actually is has headed up a group called Uplift, and he's done wonderful work there. They have a Facebook group and they have other resources for people who are trying to find help, find advice um, for faith tensions, faith crises. And Dan has a lot of good principle-based advice. Today though, we're going to ask him about his personal story. I was thinking about the good work that Dan has done and I thought about a quote from Neil Postman who he's a great artist and storyteller and he said that without air our cells die and without a story our selves die. So Dan has done other podcast interviews where he shares principles and I would encourage you to listen to those but today we're going to talk about his story, his personal story. So Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. For being willing to share part of yourself with us. Sure. If you can just introduce yourself a, a little bit, just your profession and then also what your background is in the church. Okay. Yeah, my profession is consulting. So um, I'm, I work with organizations on technology consulting and management consulting, helping them think through and implement uh, challenging, you know, solutions to, to problems that they have that, that they need to, things they need to fix, things they need to improve. And, and I enjoy that. It, it, it gives me a lot of exposure to varieties of things that people do and think. And interestingly, it sounds like it corresponds with your work in the faith community too. It actually does. <laughs> Very Which much is wonderful. So. Very much so. And I, you know, I, I grew up in the church uh, in Southern California. Um, served a mission in Brazil and loved it. Um, and then, you know, after my mission, I, I went to BYU, enjoyed that. Um, while I was at BYU, I, I got some exposure to what we call the complexity. Yeah. Um, some exposure to some of the more challenging issues in church history. Um, but e even before that, I would say, you know, on my mission, I had several experiences where, you know how when we grow up and we go through primary and seminary, we build these very simple mental models of how concepts in our faith are supposed to work. And we cherish these mental models. These mental models are emotionally cemented within us by the primary songs that we sing and and you know, our youth conferences and, and things like that. These, uh, and then as you mature and you, <laughs> you go through things, some of these models you realize need to be reworked. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your faith before your mission, before okay. what you had had any complexity <clears throat> or much complexity anyway. Um, how did you view faith? What did it feel like to you? Because I want to contrast it so that people can can feel what that sort of expectation failure felt like. So what did it feel like before? Uh, so I I had 
experiences before my mission that at a minimum let me know that God is involved in the work of the church. I mean, undoubtedly. I, I, and I, I had a testimony of Christ. I had a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Um, things that I, that I experienced. Um, Would you be willing to share a specific one that you felt like started your testimony? I think my testimony started with Christ. I yeah. was just kind of a, a difficult kid to raise. <laughs> I was always pushing boundaries, uh, just kind of a rebellious kid. And there came a point where I was unhappy. And I, it's kind of like we read about in the Book of Mormon, Enos is out hunting and he, he just gets to thinking and wondering, are these things that I've been taught about Jesus Christ, are they real? And um, that's what happened to me. I, I had an experience one day where I just honestly asked the question in my mind and right then and there received an answer. Mm -hmm. I, sometimes I'm hesitant to share that because I know that um, for some people that they doesn't happen. <laughs> They've right, never had right. it. So, so they can't, you know, and they, they might think, well, why doesn't that happen to me? I don't know. I just know that it, it did happen to me and it was a very powerful experience. And I, uh, I, I'm very much into music and art and I love music that is um, emotive, not sentimental, but emotive. I yeah. love, you know, romantic melody and, and that kind of thing. And, and so I know I'm able to differentiate between emotive okay. and something that is genuinely spiritual. The experience that I had was unlike anything I had ever felt before, experienced before. And so that was my first, what I would call a spiritual experience. After you had that experience, like you said, some people might not have that experience. Do you feel like that experience created an expectation for you for the future that, that maybe came into play with some of the complexity? Maybe. Uh, it's hard to say. I, after that experience, um, I, I had a couple of experiences like that, and then I served my mission. I don't think that... So on my mission, I actually saw um, some of what we call complexity uh, in some experiences I had. I'll share one of them. Okay. Uh, I got to be very, very close friends with a family down in Brazil. And they were people of African descent, okay? And I, I would sit, we would sit down to lunch with this family and their kids loved me and my companion. We just loved these kids talking and playing with them. And, um, the mom, one day at lunch, she looked at me and she said, Elder Ellsworth, do you think that I was unfaithful in the preexistence? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. And I'm a missionary, had no clue what she was even hinting at when she asked me that. I said, no, why? <laughs> and she said, because some people do think that I was unfaithful in the preexistence, and that's why my skin is darker than yours. That's, that can't be what people think. And I went back that night and I, I lived with my zone leaders and I asked my zone leader, what do you make of this, you know, that I learned today? And he said, oh yeah, 
yeah, I believe that. You know, wow. he actually believed that some people were fence sitters in the pre-existence. Mm -hmm. That's why they're born on earth with darker skin. And, um, but it just didn't sit right with me. I just said, it just didn't taste right, <laughs> you know? So when we went back and talked with them again, I told her, I, I, I know that other people believe that now. I don't believe that about you. And I, I, I don't have an answer for you <laughs> on this particular question, but I know that I don't believe that. It yeah. just, it didn't taste right it, to me. Yeah, what, what gave you the ability to do that? Because I think some people might have said, well, if the zone leader, anything with the word leader after it, if, if they said that, it must be true. How, how were you able to, to say, I need to parse this out myself, and if it doesn't taste right to me, because that's pretty young to be able to do that. Yeah, um, I've always had kind of an independent streak though. So. Like you said, a rebellious child, right? I was, right. Rebellious. <laughs> I, I, I was comfortable being the only one around who thought certain ways and felt certain ways. So when my zone leader said that, I was comfortable saying, no, yeah. not that. So as you, you said that you, after your mission, you had some experiences with complexity. Will you share with us what that felt like to go through the complexity? And, and we throw around the word faith crisis a lot, and I know people define it differently, but, but I want you to talk about what, what that felt like to you. What it felt like was, uh, it felt like I just had gnawing uncertainty, you know, kind of building up in the back of my mind and heart. Problem is, you know, again, we, we build these very simple mental models. Yeah. And when we realize that one of them, say prophetic revelation, um, we learn that prophets have a worldview and a culture that they operate within. Yeah, and for some people that's a shock that's to even recognize that shocking. and add that to the model. Right, yeah. right. Or the fact that, you know, the, the leadership of the church, they actually do research <laughs> in, as they seek revelation. Mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of people find that out and that's shocking. We think that they just go in and pray, the answer comes and that's it. No, they study, they research, they use data, they use professional consultants to evaluate issues. That is shocking for some people. And was it was it shocking for you? You talked about how it gnawed at you. Did, did you have a period where you felt like you were in shock? Um, not at that point. It, that came just gradually over time, okay. over years and years of more and more of those things adding up. And then there came a point where, yeah, I, I came across some issues in biblical studies that uh, it's, we use that metaphor of the shelf breaking, uh -huh. where yeah. Yeah. I, I had to say, hold up. I don't know how in the world to process what I'm studying, what I'm learning, what I'm reading. And not only that, but in light of what I'm learning, I don't know how to process what I've thought I known in, in the past, right? And, and things I've experienced, things I've, I, I didn't know how to process anything at that point. And when you get to that point where the shelf breaks and 
I mean, the feeling is like, gosh, uh, it's it's hard to describe. It it just feels like a, a bomb has gone off in your soul, <laughs> and everything is leveled, and you don't know which way is up. Um, it was it was very hard, and when you get to that point, there are forks in the road and you have decisions to make. You have emotional decisions to make, you have intellectual decisions to make. Um, are, there are certain patterns of thinking and patterns of feeling that you can decide to embrace and there are others that you can decide to embrace. There are courses of action that you can take. The first thing that I did was I decided Okay, I don't. I, I told my wife just plain as day. I don't know that I can ever be a believing member of the church again, mm. and that was a hard thing to say. But um, I said I'm going to start fasting every week for a uh, <laughs> for a long time. It was it was going to be months of fasting every week, and and I said at the end of the year. I'm going, just going to take inventory of where I'm at and see if I've had any breakthroughs or anything. And I did that, and it was fantastic. It was. Uh, it, it's hard to describe the value of that particular decision I made. Yeah, what was so? Most people wouldn't think that fasting every week is fantastic. What What, what was fantastic about it? Um, fasting is a. I, it, it's probably one of our least appreciated mechanisms for spirituality. And um, I had, a, a few years earlier, I had taken a job in a war zone in Baghdad. And I knew that I, I, during the year that I was there, I was going to be around a lot of wild kind of people, crazy characters, mm -hmm. and there was going to be a lot of temptations and things like that and I decided to fast every week that year. So, Just, you, so you had done it before? Yeah, I had done it before um, and it helped me get through that year okay spiritually. Uh, so it had been a pattern that you knew had been effective before? Yeah, it, it's something that I had done before and I said let me just try this again. And with faith crisis, you know, you, you have to there's such a strong emotional component to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's such a temptation to gravitate towards anger and accusation and resentment and blaming and all of those things. Fasting is, is great because it really does kind of do something to your soul where you're able to kind of step back from your instincts mm -hmm. and sort of calms you down and, and gives you a, a sort of a, a more mindful approach to yeah. things. Well, I noticed earlier you talked about how you, you had emotional issues that you recognized and intellectual issues, and it seems like you kind of compartmentalized that. Did, did that help to do that? Yeah. So yeah. that, because I, I, those, those emotions are so difficult. Oh, yeah. how, how do you feel like you could acknowledge the emotions without letting them take over both compartments? Uh, again, the fasting helped. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it kind of, it sort of schools your emotional state. And, um, you know, and, and during that time, I also said, okay, 
while I'm fasting, I'm going to do all of the Sunday school things, mm -hmm. my scripture reading, serving it. You know, and, and I decided to do scripture reading even while my conceptualization of scripture was it's changing. Yeah. Very much changing. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, uh, I, I was in complexity, but it was more than complexity. It was, it was almost like just a severe doubting complexity. Yeah. Um, and I, I did not know if it was possible to ever engage with scripture with a chosen simplicity right where i can just sit down and read and benefit from it but but you kept taking steps into the darkness I yeah i decided i'm just going to do it anyway let's see what happens what harm could there be mm. in fasting every week serving going to church reading my scriptures and just maintaining a good relationship with my community. What harm yeah. could there be in that? As you were trying to do that, what did you do when the gnawing feelings came? I, I know sometimes when people are in the middle of it yeah. and they're trying to read their scriptures or pray, that the gnawing feelings come. What, what did you do? Uh, the gnawing feelings were there, <laughs> but I had just a few little insights and breakthroughs mm. and little things uh, so, so they were just the little strands of right, hope. Right, right. Yeah. Um, nothing real dramatic dur happened during that time. Um, but around that time, you know, a friend of mine who was out of the church, who I, he and I almost never talk. We'll go for years without talking. During that time, he sent me a message and just said, hey, for some reason, I felt like I needed to check on you and see how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of knew, okay, that is how God used to talk to me. Interesting. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, okay. This, this, is, this is the language that, so in the before period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, re is, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is how God used to talk mm. to me. Okay, there's a little ray of light, right? And then there, there came, and, and I tell this story fairly frequently, there was a, a lady in my ward who she got up and, and, told her conversion story and her life story. And it was so powerful um, growing up overseas, joining the church, and talking about her experiences with her family and challenges with her family, and then you know, going to do temple work for a difficult family situation. <laughs> um, I, I, I watched her tell her story in sacrament meeting, and I said, that is the religion that I want. Hmm. <laughs> what she is telling from the pulpit right now, that's the religion that I want. What, what was it about it that, that made you desire that? I, I've always gravitated towards redemption stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this was just real, raw, authentic, you know, a powerful story of the redemption of a family. And I, so I'm not a lawyer, but I like to think in terms of law mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, when we talk about witnesses and testimony and things, I said, here's a witness and do I believe her testimony or not? Mm. I have a choice right now. Again, we have forks in the road. Yeah. I can choose whether or not 
to believe this witness that's standing in front of me. And I chose to believe her. Did that help you to acknowledge that you had the agency to choose it? Yes. To, to, to own that choice? Yes. Just like you had as a missionary. Right. I, I can choose this. Yes. Yeah. I can choose to believe her or not. And I choose to believe her. Why would I not believe her? You know, is there anything about her that is just thinking again in legal terms that would discredit her as a witness? Nothing. I mean, just a sober-minded, intelligent human being speaking the truth. Yeah. Um, very, very credible witness. So, <laughs> uh, again, you know, there are forks in the road. Do I believe witnesses or not? That is a major fork in the road for somebody yeah. in faith crisis. You talked earlier about the experience that you had had as an adolescent that was so powerful. You recognized it was the Spirit. How was this experience different if, if we held the two up and compared them? Um, this experience was different because I didn't choose uh, how to feel <laughs> in some of my previous spiritual experiences. They just happened. Hmm. Nothing about me chose, wow, to have this overwhelming feeling or, so or it, insight yeah, so or anything. So it's just sort of right. distilled upon you. <laughs> right, right. With this experience, you know, I actually had a choice. Like, I feel a certain way. I, I can choose how I respond to this. And there were other experiences that I had. I took a leap of faith to go out with the missionaries and teach a discussion. Mm -hmm. And I go out with the missionaries and I'm thinking, I have nothing to offer. I don't know why I'm doing this other than I appreciated it when people did it when I was a missionary, right? And we went and we had one appointment. We went and taught a young man and he had questions in that visit that were exactly the kinds of things that I had been studying and right. wrangling with about the nature of scripture. And I was, the missionaries were, <clears throat> were so grateful that I was with them because I had all these great answers for this kid. And we walked out of that house and I just said, you've got to be kidding me. I've never had anybody ask me those kinds of questions anywhere. And, you know, just taking this leap of faith, something happened. Those things added up for a while. And, you know, over several years, after, there came a point where I just said, okay, I'm not any longer in faith crisis. Mm. I'm a fully believing, committed member of the church. But it was, but it was cumulative <laughs> yeah, over time. Yeah, over time, yeah. over time. And, and that's something that I try to, that's one of the first things when somebody comes to us in faith crisis, I say, you have all the time in the world to work through this. I like that. So no, no rush. No rush. Mm -hmm. No rush. I know it hurts. I know you're going to church and feeling like you can't relate to anybody around you. I know that that hurts. I've been there. Um, there are a lot of very painful feelings that you feel in this situation. Um, the isolation, the loneliness, all of that, it's very real. But if you can just internalize this fact that you have so much time to work through these questions. You have years yeah, and years to Yeah, maybe even an think, eternity of yes, time. Yes, <laughs> yes. You have all the time in the world to think through these things. There's no, there, you know, then you can go back to church and say, yeah, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm working at something that's going to take a long time, yeah. right? And, and I, can, I can be okay again. 
but it's not going to be quick. <laughs> but, you know, again, that's something that, that we really try to help people understand. You have plenty of time to yeah. work through these issues and, and get your bearings again. What I appreciate about that, you said you love stories of redemption. And another storyteller, an American storyteller, Flannery O'Connor, said that, she said, the reader of today wants either mock damnation or mock redemption. They don't understand the price of redemption. And yes. what I love about your story is there's nothing mock right. about it. Right. it. It's completely real. And you went through those feelings of feeling damned. Yes. <laughs> but you also have the feelings of being redeemed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I love Flannery O'Connor. I mean, every, she is, these quotes are just so profound, so powerful. Um, and she's absolutely correct. There's no, uh, there's no easy way through this kind of a situation. You have time to work through it, but it's gonna be hard. That's another thing that, that I try to convey is one of the things that, that we probably are not taught as much as we should be taught growing up is that faith is really hard. It's gonna push you to your emotional and intellectual limits. Yeah. Um, you know, more than, <laughs> farther than you think you can go. That is normal. If you ever feel that, then congratulations. You're in company with Abraham, Jeremiah, <laughs> the Savior himself. You know, you're, you don't need to, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if you're struggling in your faith. Yeah, you're in you're good not, company. Right, yeah. right. You're not, it doesn't mean you have some kind of a disease or something. You're in great company if you're wrestling and struggling and striving to work through these things. So, again, that's another thing that we have got to take away the shame of yeah. faith struggles. These are normal. It is very normal to wrestle through things, even for years, decades, you know. So, anyway. Yeah. You talk about being in good company. I think you're one of those people that gives company to those who need it, and I appreciate your example and you being willing to share your story with us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.